Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I am your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 37, Using Thought Work to Create Your State. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. my friends, welcome to the podcast today. I hope you're all staying healthy. There is a lot of stuff going around right now. Um, I've been taking some extra vitamin C, trying to stay hydrated, trying to get enough sleep. That one always seems to be a challenge, right? And just kind of take care of myself, trying to get my family to take care of themselves too. So when we do get hit with something, hopefully it won't be too bad. Kind of seems inevitable right now, right? (laughs) Today, I wanted to talk to you about thought work and how to use it for yourself not against yourself. And I thought I'd start today with a little analogy, a little story that I like to call the parable of the Christmas caramels. (laughs) And this experience popped into my head the other day as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you this week. And I thought it was kind of a good metaphor for thought work and the work that I do on myself and with my clients through coaching. So I'm just going to jump right into this. Hopefully you'll get the idea I'm trying to convey. So when I was young, one of my most vivid memories is of Christmas time when every year, unfailingly, a package from my grandma would come in the mail and we all knew what was in it. It was a batch of her heavenly homemade caramel candies. And these caramels were an especially anticipated treat, easily my favorite treat ever. <laughs> I remember one Christmas, uh, my grandma, she lived in Southern California And the year that I was 11, we happened to live just a few minutes away from her. That was the only time we ever lived near these grandparents of mine. And so I got the special privilege of helping grandma with the caramels that Christmas. And I remember very vividly being in her kitchen with glass baking dishes and wax paper and caramel ingredients strewn all over as she shared with me the art of caramel making um, with a recipe that had been handed down, you know, for generations. So that memory is one that really stands out to me. And every Christmas, I remember being in my grandma's kitchen making those amazing caramels. Um, So several years ago, I decided I wanted to try my hand at this caramel making. I wanted to master this art just like my grandma had. And I'd always heard about how difficult and time-consuming these candies were to make, but I wanted to figure it out so I could share them with my own kids and, of course, enjoy them myself. And my grandma had passed away by this time, But I had an aunt who made them, and so I called her up and asked her for the recipe and some direction. And this amazing aunt of mine was more than happy to help me out. She told me the ingredients I would need and gave me the directions. And then she gave me three very specific instructions. The caramels wouldn't turn out, she told me, unless I followed these three rules. Um, The first rule was use a wooden spoon, never a metal spoon. Um, Rule number two, don't let the mixture stop boiling at any point during the cooking process. And rule number three, don't make them during a storm. So these three rules sounded a little funny to me, actually. Um, Seriously, did it matter what kind of spoon I used? And the instruction about not letting the mixture stop boiling, that made sense, I guess. But the storm thing, I just figured these were probably some old pioneer wives tales. And I followed the rules and in the end, I had a perfect batch of delicious caramel, just exactly how I had remembered my grandma making it. So I made several batches that year, that fall and winter, 
Um, I made caramels for my family and to hand out to friends and neighbors, just like my grandma had always done. And then when Christmas was over, I put the recipe on the back burner um, until the next year when it was time to make them again. And the next September, I was um, in Young Women's for a church and I volunteered to make caramel apples for all of the girls for this big back to school activity that we were planning. I thought I've got this amazing caramel recipe, they're just gonna be perfect. And so one afternoon I went out and got all of the ingredients and I started making the caramels from memory. I'd made them so many times the previous year that I didn't even need to get out the recipe. I remembered the exact measurements for the sugar and the cream and everything. So after stirring this first batch for about 30 minutes, I could tell that my caramel was not setting up the way it usually did. I let it boil um, about 15 minutes longer and nothing. It was just this runny caramel sauce. Still delicious, but not thickening at all like it was supposed to. That was okay, I thought. I could still use this for ice cream. I'll just make another batch. So again, I measure out the ingredients and 30 minutes later, same problem. And I started to panic. I was running out of supplies and time. And as I started to put together the third batch, I noticed something um, that I had been using a metal whisk. So that rule about the wooden spoon popped into my head and I knew what my problem was immediately. I pulled out my wooden spoon um, and 30 minutes later, found myself with a beautifully thickened batch of caramel. Thank goodness, right? I've since looked up reasons for this. I can't find a definite answer. There are lots of theories and opinions out there about the metal messing with the temperature or the particles, something like that. <laughs> something I didn't really understand. But now I know from my, other, my own experience that if I use any type of metal utensil with this recipe, it will not work. I have learned that plastic works, however. <laughs> and I have to say there was a time... Um, that I made it and there was one point there's one point where you have to add some warm cream into the boiling mixture and you have to do this very slowly so it never stops boiling and I was kind of in a hurry that day and I added it a little too quickly and cooled it down a little too much so it did stop boiling and same problem I couldn't recover it it never set up needless to say we've eaten a lot of ice cream and apples with runny caramel sauce at least we can do something with it right and I've never actually attempted this recipe during a storm. We don't get a lot of those around here where I live, but I'm sure if this rule is on the list with the other ones, it's probably true. I've learned my lesson. And so the reason I'm sharing with this with you is that in the world of candy making, there are certain scientific rules and principles that apply. And if you follow the rules, if you apply the principles, you get the results. Well, just like there are principles or laws of candy making, there are laws of nature, right? Like how to make a little apple seed sprout and grow into a tree and need soil and sunlight and nutrients. And if it has those things, the process will work. Well, there are also laws and principles of how our brains and bodies are wired to send and receive messages to each other. And if you've been listening to this podcast for very long, you know that there is a direct correlation between our thoughts and our feelings, right? A thought is just an electrical impulse in our brain which triggers chemicals through our body that cause an emotion. It's a very basic description, but that's essentially the science of it. And we can test this theory out, right? If you wanted to feel gratitude, what would you think about? You know that focusing your thoughts on certain people or things in your life will cause you to feel the emotion of gratitude. You could also make yourself feel angry. What could you think of that would cause you to feel angry? or excited, or annoyed, or worried. We could do this with any emotion because all we need to do to feel a feeling is to think thoughts that are associated with it. And that's a huge aha moment when we realize that our feelings aren't caused by the circumstance happening outside of us, but by our thoughts about that circumstance. 
and it can be really eye-opening to have this knowledge, and I've noticed that there are a couple ways we can approach it. It's possible that knowing this might make us feel discouraged, right? And think, wow, this is just another way I'm failing. Apparently, it's my own fault now that I'm feeling so miserable. And so sometimes we can take this principle and use it against ourselves and blame and shame our way to feeling even worse about ourselves or our situation. But there's another way to look at this relationship between our thoughts and our feelings, which is that it is such great news. Because if you're the one in charge, if you're the one responsible for how you're feeling, you have the power to change it. And understanding this and learning how to use that power to create and experience the feelings that will help you live the life you want to live is one of the best gifts you can give yourself. God designed us this way. We have this wiring, I believe, for more than one reason. Our thoughts and feelings are connected, not just so we can survive in this world, but so we can move beyond mere surviving to thriving, so we can experience love and connection and progress and happiness. The human part of our brain craves safety and security and predictability, but that divine spirit within us, that eternal part of us, it craves craves expansion and growth and contribution. And they both serve us, right? One keeps us alive and the other allows us to experience joy and fulfillment in that life. And so the idea that our thoughts generate feelings within us is based in science. It's a true principle. And we can use this knowledge to work for us, right? We can take it and apply the rules of changing our thinking to improve our lives. Dr. David Burns, who has had a tremendous influence on the cognitive behavioral therapy movement, said this, If you want to feel better, you must realize that your thoughts and attitudes, not external events, create your feelings. You can learn how to change the way you think, feel, and behave in the here and now. And he has several really great books that teach this concept that so much can be done in our minds and with our thoughts to influence the way we think and behave. And this is what I've talked about with the model, um, right? It's the same principle. Our thoughts are going to generate feelings. Our feelings are going to fuel actions. And our actions will determine our results or the experience that we're having in our lives. So because we are wired this way, we know that it's our thoughts or the way we perceive our lives and what's happening in them that will create our emotional state. And it's those thoughts we have about our circumstances that are going to cause an emotion in us. And so what many of us don't realize or what we need practice doing is learning how to generate our emotional state, which is essentially deciding how we want to feel in a certain circumstance on purpose. And knowing that you can generate your own emotional state is one of the most essential skills of what we call emotional intelligence. So Tony Robbins talks about this. He refers to it as either being in a beautiful state or a suffering state. And a beautiful state, as you probably assume, would include emotions such as peace, love, confidence, abundance, motivation, those elevated emotions that make us want to pursue good things and develop our talents and connect with others and just go out and make the world better in our own unique way. And when we're in a suffering state, um, we experience emotions maybe like fear or anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, scarcity, and these emotions turn us inward. We become more focused on our own problems and what's wrong in our lives. And that isn't to say that we should ignore ourselves or our needs, but many times we're waiting for other people to come in and save us and change things so that we can feel better, when really what we need is to take charge of our own lives and our own emotions and learn how to create our emotional state by implementing the tools of mindfulness and thought work, many of which you know I teach you on this podcast. So one of the most important things for you to know is that you don't have to wait for external circumstances to create an emotion that you want to feel. You can feel peace, confidence, love, 
courage, motivation, abundance, all of these emotions and more are available to you if you are willing to do the work. You are powerful. You can generate emotions based on your perception and your focus and the meaning you're giving to the things happening in your life, the big things and the small things, right? I remember once I was driving my son to high school. I don't know about your carpool lines, but where we are, they are some long lines. And on this particular day, he'd gotten out of early morning seminary a little later than usual, and so we were running late. And I was tense. I was watching the clock. I was really stressed about getting him to school on time, like stressed to the point where I was feeling some pretty intense physical sensations. And I know when I'm in a hurry and stressed, my quality of driving just goes down, right? I drive faster than I should. I do things I wouldn't otherwise do. I'm just not at my best when I'm in a hurry, which is why my first piece of advice to him when he got his license was not to be in a rush. If If you're ever late, it's not worth it. Just be late. Use good judgment and get there safely, right? And so I could just feel myself tensing and stressing and not making the best driving decisions. And I thought, okay, why am I so stressed about this? And I was worried about him being late to his first period class because that's the one teacher who is intimidating and the kids are kind of afraid of. Both my girls had him too. And all of my kids agree he's one of the scariest teachers they've ever had. And so I've got all of this playing in my mind. And I realize I'm so stressed out because I'm worried that if he's late to class, the teacher's gonna say something mean and he'll get his feelings hurt and be embarrassed in front of the whole class. And then he'll never want to go to school again and it will completely ruin his self-esteem. At this point, my mind is just going down a rabbit hole, right? I'm in full-blown worst case scenario mode because this is what our brains do. And so I caught myself. I realized that of course, these thoughts that I'm having subconsciously are causing me to feel way more stressed than is necessary in this situation. And it's causing me to lose focus and not be a very good driver, which isn't safe. And it's setting a bad example for my soon to be driving son. And so I thought this is one of those moments where I want to create a different state. And so I took a deep breath. I calmed myself down. I told myself that yes, we were later than usual, but erratic driving wasn't going to get us there any faster. And in fact, it was more likely to cause an accident, right, than anything. And that we'd have a lot bigger problem on our hands if that happened. I also went to my worst case scenario and thought, okay, what if he is late? What if his teacher does say something? Why do I think that he couldn't handle this? And when I realized that first of all, this scenario was all just something made up in my mind, right? It was my imagination. And second of all, Even if it did by chance happen, we could deal with it and he could handle it and things would be fine. And that's when I could physically feel my emotional state changing. And I feel like it took me longer to explain this story than it actually took to happen. This all took place in less than a minute, but I was able to go from a very highly stressed and anxious state to a calm and very present state. And it was actually the coolest experience because I realized that running late didn't have to make me feel frantic or impatient. That was my choice. And that little shift that morning actually kind of set the, the tone for my day. It stayed with me. And it gave me this feeling of, of, I guess the word is confidence, because I saw in that instant where I couldn't control some things, I still could control how I responded to them. And it worked. My thoughts about the situation really did determine my experience of it, right? It's that law. It, it worked. And the rest of that car ride was actually really fun. And I was joking with my son and he made it with, I think, a minute to spare. <laughs> And I thought, wow, I'm so glad I was able to switch gears and have a positive few minutes before school with him instead of being all stressed out. And I think my ability to be calm and present in the situation helped him too. Our energy can be contagious, right? And I think it's important to show our kids by example how to be in control of our emotions as much as we can. We've got to practice what we preach, right? And this got me thinking about another interesting phenomenon. I was talking with a good friend of mine who's also a coach, and she was telling me how... um, 
For her wallet, she uses one of those iPhone cases with the little slots where you put your license and credit cards. And she'd gotten home one day and realized she was, as she was getting out of the car, that some of the really important things had fallen out, including her license, her Temple Recommend, her credit card, I think. And she'd been out running errands all over town. So who knew at what point she'd lost these items? And she said her first reaction was panic. But as she kind of coached herself on what had happened, she realized that all of these things were replaceable, right? Some more easily than others, but that in the end, it wasn't worth getting all upset about and that she'd try to locate what she'd lost, but if she didn't get it all back, it would be okay. Um, She could take the necessary steps to resolve it and it would all work out. And I don't remember the specific details, but from that place of calm, she was actually able to recognize little impressions of places that she should look and people that she should talk to. And she eventually found everything that she had lost from her wallet. And she was telling me that she didn't think she would have been able to to hear those impressions, to be open to them, if she would have been in a state of fear or anger or stress or frustration. And so... She told me that story, and just a day or two later, I was out washing my big Suburban so my husband could take it on a youth temple trip that evening, and it was one of those days where I just did not have a spare minute. It was one thing after another, back to back. I don't have days like that too often, but this was one of them, and I was talking to my sister on the phone, multitasking, right, while I was washing my car, and when I got done, um, I was running late for an appointment that I still needed to get ready for. So I hurried and locked the car, not with the keys, but by opening the door, hitting the lock button, right? And I went to get ready. Well, for months, I had been missing one of the sets of keys to my car, and I had looked everywhere. The last time I'd remembered having it was on our spring break trip to Utah, and this was now September, so that was not good. <laughs> and as I was getting ready, I had the thought, I don't remember what I did with the keys when I came in. Not surprised, right? Because I lost the other set. And so I went outside and I looked in the Suburban and of course, there they were sitting on the front seat of my locked car. Well, this was just awesome, I thought. And of course, I went into a little panic mode. But then I remembered my conversation with my friend about her wallet and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get stressed out. It's all going to work out. So I, of course, said a little prayer that I would be able to find the other set of keys, but that even if I couldn't find the keys, that somehow things would work out and I'd be able to get where I needed to go and that my husband would be able to get all the kids he needed to to the temple that night. And so I did call AAA, but they weren't available, available to come for a couple hours and I was going to be out all afternoon. I did have access to another car, thank goodness. But as I was leaving to go to my appointment, I had the most distinct impression to look in my son's tennis bag. Super random. Um, It was almost like someone took me by the hand and just dragged me over to where his bag was hanging. And the very first pocket I opened, there's about 10 pockets in that bag, but the first pocket I opened, I unzipped it and I found the keys right there that had been missing for five months. And immediately I recognized that exact same phenomenon that, that my friend had just described to me. When I was calm and trusting, when I let go of the details, things kind of fell into place. I was able to receive the impressions and the information I needed. And when I let go of the how and just trusted that God was aware of me and that things would work out for the best, they did. And of course, there have been and will be times when prayers um, aren't answered exactly the way I hope for or want, right? I'm not saying that being in an elevated emotional state is going to bring us exactly what we want all the time. But I have noticed that when I'm desiring things or asking Heavenly Father for something from a place of scarcity or lack, from a feeling of, I need this to happen, or I'm not going to be okay. For some reason, that kind of seems like it will be more effective or increase my chances of getting it. 
because he'll see how desperate I am. But I've realized that when I approach my prayers or my desires from a place of here's what I think is right or what I would like to happen, but I trust that you might have a better way. If that's the case, I'll be okay. Then things have a way of working out for the best, whether that's in the form of me getting what I wanted, what I was asking for, or me watching God and his wisdom work something else out in my life that does turn out being a better way. Um, I saw this with a client of mine recently. She's been working over the last couple of months on being more intentional about her emotional state and choosing her emotional state instead of just reacting to her circumstances. And she got a phone call recently from one of her adult children. And this child told her that she didn't think she believed in the church anymore, that she didn't agree with many of the doctrines of the church, and that she wasn't sure if she even wanted to be associated with it moving forward. And my client was amazed as she recounted this conversation to me at the peace and the presence of mind she was able to have as she was listening to her daughter tell her things that in the past would have been very upsetting to her. She said that her former self would have sprung into panic mode and I have to fix this mode. And she would have spent the conversation trying to convince her daughter of all the reasons to stay and talk her out of this and maybe even argued with her on some of those points. She said she would have gone into a full-blown shame and blame on herself, right? Thinking that she hadn't done enough and that she had failed as a mother because her daughter was struggling with her testimony. But instead, this woman was able to hold space for her daughter. She was able to let her express her concerns without feeling judged or like she was disappointing her mother, which is huge, right? For someone who has questions and concerns, they can be afraid to have these conversations because of how they're worried that other people might react. And most importantly, this mother was able to express unconditional love for her daughter. That even though she did feel some sadness and some concern, of course, right? That did nothing to diminish the love that she had for this daughter, who was just such an amazing person in her eyes. And this was able to create um, an emotional state for her that helped her show up exactly as the mom she wanted to be for her child in this situation. She didn't lose control. She didn't give away her emotional power. She decided how she wanted to feel. And she created it. And I asked her what those emotions were that helped her create that experience. And she said that the most prominent one she remembered was just faith. Just trusting that God was aware of her daughter and this situation and that he was not going to forget her. That somehow or another, this experience was going to work for both of their eternal growth and benefit. And as we talked, she just told me how excited she was to have these skills that she had developed to stay in control in this situation And that something that could have resulted in hurt feelings or resentment or misunderstanding turned into a really beautiful opportunity for her daughter to experience the unconditional love of her mother and for this mother to experience absolute trust in her Heavenly Father to take care of her daughter and trust in herself to keep loving and supporting and creating a strong relationship with her daughter, whether or not she keeps going to church. And I guess that is the message I wanted to share with you today, that your emotional state matters. It matters in the big things and the little things. It matters in our relationships, in our ambitions, the way we face our challenges, and it impacts the experiences we have in our everyday lives. Remember that this principle, that your thoughts create your emotions, is not something you use to beat yourself up with, right? It's not something that is meant to make you feel guilty or discouraged or like you're failing. It is a principle of power and of intention and of agency. And it's one that you can use to generate change in any area of your life. You have the ability to create a beautiful state inside of you, no matter what's going on outside of you. So be intentional about the state you are going to create and carry throughout your day. 
Be intentional about the state you want to create for yourself at church. Be intentional about the state you create for yourself in the carpool line at school. Um, What state do you want to create when you're doing the dishes or helping your kids with homework? What state do you want to be in in your interactions with your husband? Think about it. You get to decide how you will feel and how you will show up in all of these situations and every other circumstance in your life, right? So choose wisely because that is going to determine your experience of your life. You're not doing this for others, although they can benefit from it too. You're the one who gets to feel your emotions. So do it for you. How do you want to feel? And I just wanted to end here with the thought that the nature of our task in this life is never going to change. As long as we are humans on this earth, we are going to have a human brain. And that brain is always going to want to take the easy route or shy away from something new or scary or notice problems with ourselves or with other people or tell us why something just is impossible for us, right? And that aspect of our human brain, it's not going to change. It has a purpose. It helps us to survive. Our goal is not to get rid of that part of us, but to be aware of it, to be onto it, and to know how to respond to it and overcome it. It's like thinking that if you just do a really good job of getting clean in the shower, you'll someday get to the point where you'll never have to shower again. That's not how it works, right? We have human bodies that get dirty and sweaty, and no matter how good of a job we do scrubbing it you know, all off one day, it's going to happen again. Because that's just the nature of being human, right? And it's the same with managing our brains. We're not going to get to the part where we never feel fear and we always feel motivated. I was just thinking how when my kids were little, it was so hard to get a workout in because first of all, making the time, right? But then when I did, it was inevitable that there would be some kind of interruption. And I just remember thinking, wow, when my kids are all in school, it's going to be so easy to exercise. I can just do it whenever I want. And then when they all got in school, yes, it did become easier to schedule it. But then my brain came up with other excuses like, oh, you won't have time to wash your hair today if you work out. Or, oh, don't you need to do laundry first? Or we don't really feel like it today, right? So even though the circumstance had changed, my brain hadn't. I still had to overcome its excuses and its objections. And that's the work we're doing here. Don't think that you're doing it wrong just because it's hard or it takes time. Learning to overcome that carnal, primitive, natural man brain, whatever you want to call it, is the work of a lifetime. But it is so worth it because the things you'll create, the relationships you'll improve, the goals you'll accomplish, the way you'll experience your life will change for the better. I promise. I've seen it in the lives of my clients and in my own life. These rules and principles and strategies will work for us if we will trust them and be consistent with them and be patient with ourselves as we learn to implement them. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, that which we persist in doing becomes easier. Not that the nature of the task has changed, but our ability to do has increased. And this is as true for thought work as it is for anything else, right? Our lives don't change because our brain stops offering us negativity or fear or ease. They change because we get better and better at responding to it when it does and choosing what we want to think and how we want to feel on purpose. Okay, everyone, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want help with anything you hear on this podcast, if you want some clarity in your mind and in your life, hop on a call with me. You can sign up on my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will see you back here next time. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. 
Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.